Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Episode 72 of the podcast to be named later. I am Chris Willis, and I'm joined again tonight by my good friend, Stephen Talbert. Stephen, how are you doing? What's up, Chris? It's good to have you back, buddy. Uh, obviously, we took a, uh, me and Sean took up the, the post uh, last week while you were out sick, but it's good to be back with you. We got spring, tra- tra- spring training games going on. We've got, we had a, a split squad game today, so a lot to talk about, a lot of storylines, some interesting uh, little details have come out about some different guys, so we got a fun show tonight, but it's always good to do these with you, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, I was hoping I was going to be able to settle into a weekly thing, but right now it's it's been about week, uh, uh, every other week for me. Uh, that's probably going to uh, be the case again next week, but hopefully soon we'll be locked back in here and... Uh, you know, on a on a weekly basis, uh, heading into the season. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we had some had some good stuff this week. You know, Chris. I think the biggest which the thing I was most excited about was uh, Chris Sale's debut. You know, he, he looked really good against the Pirates. Two inning pitch, four strikeouts. Fastball velocity was good. Topped out at ninety seven miles per hour. Were you surprised at all by how how good he looked, or uh, you know, from the way it sounded, the way people were raving about him? You know, I think um, you know, I just thought I thought that went about as well as anybody could have expected. Yeah, he had uh, eleven swings and seven whiffs, which is an absurd uh, ratio in terms of, of missing bats. The fastball velocity, the fastball velocity, was certainly notable. You know, the last few years in Boston, he was 92, 93. I think he averaged like right at 93 miles an hour on his fastball. So he was, you know, 95, 96, 97 all day or not, all, you know, for two innings the other day. But uh, so that was especially for the first outing of spring, you know, it's still February. Guys are still very early in their ramp up process. I was I was very pleasantly surprised where his fastball was set at and you know, you can always tell by the hitters how they swing, you know, just how how good the stuff is and and you know, it wasn't it wasn't the Pirates like B team either. Like that was like Brian Reynolds and Key Brian Hayes and and O'Neal Crew. Like they had their they had basically their starting lineup in there against uh, against Chris and he looked great. And obviously it's two innings in in February, we're not going to overreact too much, but you know, if he had come out and he was throwing 89 and got hit around, you know, pretty good then there would definitely be some concern. So when it goes the other way and it's it's a fantastic outing, then you know there's going to be some some optimism for sure. Yeah, I mean my my biggest takeaway from it was you know number one you know he told us back at the time of the trade 
that he was already throwing bullpens. You know, he was already at Northport, actually, that day. He did his uh, press conference the day after the trade from the Braves facility. He doesn't live far from there. So, I mean, he's already, he's been already down there working out. And, you know, I think he was kind of setting the stage for this a little bit. I think he was a little bit of further ahead than maybe some of the other pitchers. Now, we'll talk about it in a minute where that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but it was good to see him go out there and be dominant, uh, kind of like what you expect. I thought one thing, I know he's told uh, Justin Toscano this week uh, that, you know, he's willing to pitch whenever. I think the quote was, just hand me the ball. You know, if it's four days rest, five days rest, if they wanted him in the bullpen even, you know, that's kind of what he said. So, you know, that's good to hear. Uh, I'm glad he's healthy. I think he's really got something that he wants to prove to everybody that he's not, you know, he's not washed because a lot of people at the time of that trade, they just kind of, you know, kind of uh, uh, smirked at it and like, well, he'll be hurt and everything. But, you know, the thing we kept going back to was when he has been healthy enough to pitch, he has still pitched really well. I mean, he had a 29% strikeout rate last year, which is right along his career average. I mean, he had the, did have the shoulder issue last year, but, you know, I think he's put that behind him. He, he said he's put that behind him. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he, how he progresses this spring and into the regular season. Yeah, and from everything we've heard from the beat writers and, and obviously, you know, from the team indirectly is that they're going, to be, they're going to be careful with him. They're going to be conservative with him. They're going to give him off days. They're going to give him breaks between starts. Like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think we're going to get into a situation where he's pitching every fifth day consistently. You know, I don't think he's going to throw 220 innings next year. But like you said, and Brad and Chris talked about this, or uh, not Brad, uh, Brad and Scott, I'm sorry, talked about this when uh, they did the show right after the trade was made. But like, yeah, he's never pitched and been mediocre. Like when he's pitched, he pitches well. His problem has always been health. Like he, he physically can't pitch. But when he is healthy enough to pitch, he's been a really good starter. Um, and so... That's kind of my expectation. If he's out there, he's going to be at least solid. Like, I don't think there's a world where he's going to be healthy enough to pitch and he's just going to be terrible. So, you know, that's my expectation. It's just going to be how much does he pitch, right? How much does he, his body allow him to pitch? How much do the Braves allow him to pitch? You know, their thing is going to be October, 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 get him ready for October, make sure he's, you know, good for October. So there's going to be times when Bryce Elder is going to start or, you know, whoever that sixth starter is in the in the lineup. But, yeah, how much do they let him pitch? How many innings does he throw? You know, how does his body react when he, you start ramping up to the five innings, six innings, seven innings? You know, do they let him go deep in games? That's another question I have. Like, you know, how how aggressive are they with the bullpen on days he pitches? How, how deep do they let him go? Um, all that stuff will be fascinating to watch. But, yeah, like you said, like Brad and Scott said the day he was traded – when he pitches, he pitches well, and and so that's kind of the the thing you hold on to. Looking at that, those highlights from from uh, you know his debut, I, I'll be honest. My first thought was, man, this guy's ready for the regular season. You know, they need to wrap him in bubble wrap right now and just wait <laughs> wait for opening day. And you know, I think he is such a competitor that you know he's going to want to go out there every fourth, every fifth day you know, four days rest, regular thing. The Braves have done an excellent job over the last couple of years of, you know, giving guys extra days when they need it. They did a few times with uh, Charlie Morton last year. You know, they've done it in the past with other guys, uh, you know, when they thought they needed one or whatever. They do a really good job monitoring guys, 
going into starts, coming out of starts, uh, their midweek bullpens and, and everything like that. I think you, you hit something, though, right there. I think a lot of people are expecting a six-man rotation more often than not, and I don't think that's going to happen. You know, like I said, if they need, they'll have off days where they can give guys extra rest. But I mean, if they need to give a guy extra day, then yeah, they can bring a starter up, put him in there. But I think it's going to be a situation where he's going to be going back down. You know, after he pitches. But I do think one thing that they can do with Sale is, you know, he may be a five and dive guy for you know a, a large portion of this season just because you want to limit those innings you want to keep some bullets in the you know in the gun you want to save them for october so yeah it's going to be fascinating to kind of monitor i think charlie morton a little bit will be similar but again charlie's charlie's a guy that's logged you know some pretty big innings with the braves since he since he signed on so you know i think again you know he's going to want to take the ball every fourth every fifth day too so uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this pitching staff top to bottom. I mean, even Sp- even a guy like Spencer Strider, I mean, you know, he uh, he led the team in uh, innings last year anyway. You know, and I think you, we all know, I mean, he's already made two starts in the spring. We're in the first full week. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they, how they handle this rotation. And just to illustrate my point about when Chris Sale pitches, he always pitches at a, at least a, a solid level in his entire career. His entire career, Chris Sale's been pitching since 2010. In his entire career, the highest FIP he's ever posted, ever, is 3.8. That's the highest FIP he's ever posted in a season. So, like, that's what I mean. Like, when he pitches, he's really good. It's just going to be health. Like, it's, that's, that's, all, that's all this is going to – like, I hate to oversimplify it, but it's just, it's just how much does his body allow him to pitch. That's, that's what it's going to be. And ultimately, it's going to come down to October, right? Like, that's – you know, we're to the point now with this team where, and it's not just with Sale, it's with Max, it's with all the additions, you know, Kelnick, everybody. Like, how do they do in October? That's how this team's going to be judged. Like, Chris Sale could have an amazing regular season. He could be everything the Braves hoped. But, he, had, you know, if he has a bad start in, in a division game and the Braves lose that series, that's what people are going to remember, right? Like, that's kind of the, that's the, that's the curse of baseball in some regard. Like, you're, you're remembered most for these one or two outings in October and, you know, um, that's how this, you know, this team's not going to be any different. Another guy, um, we saw Max Fried make his debut this week. Uh, also, I think you and I have already talked about this a little bit. You know, I've, I've read, you know, that he's been injury plagued and he did have some injury issues when he was in the minors. But, you know, you go back and look at his time since 2019 when he really joined the rotation and stuck. You know, he's been a workhorse for this team up until last year. So, you know, I think the injury stuff with him is a little overblown. Uh, he 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 made his debut against the Orioles, two innings pitch, zero hits, one walk, two Ks. I think he actually hit 97 on the gun, you know, uh, as well in that start. With Max, I feel like Max is probably going to come into this season, you know, primed for the best season of his career. I mean, it, it would be in his best interest if he can go out there and make 30, 32 starts, be a Cy Young contender, uh, you know, go ahead, before he heads into free agency. We're talking about, you know, sky's the limit for him on the open market. So, I mean, I feel like he's going to be, from a physical standpoint, you know, I'm not really questioning Max Freed going into the 2024 season. Yeah, I mean, it's it is, Max has had a weird he's, – he's had kind of a weird injury history. Like, he doesn't have a lot of, like, nagging injuries. Just the ones that he's had are, like, the scary kind. Like a forearm, you know, he had the forearm last year, you know, forearm, elbow, however you want to say it. Uh, but he came back and pitched well. And so, like, that is a, 
you know, that is kind of a light at the end of that tunnel, you know, so, and right now he seems healthy, you know, we're still very early in spring. Obviously we have to get through another four weeks of this, but if he's healthy, he's another guy. Like if he's pitching, he's going to be good. Like that's, we've never seen really mediocre Max Freed. Like if he's healthy, if he's healthy, if he's pitching, he's good. And so, you know, uh, the, this rotation has an unbelievable ceiling. I mean, they really do. Like, if everybody's healthy and pitching, like, this rotation is the best rotation in baseball. I don't even think it's close. But this rotation also has a pretty low floor, right? Like, I mean, if if Chris Sale gets hurt, if Charlie Morton's age starts to show, like, if the forearm stuff creeps up again with Max, like, you know, there's a there's a pretty big floor here, too. So um, the, the the range of outcomes is 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 pretty broad, but... If he's if if Max and Sale are good to pitch, if they're healthy to pitch, they're going to be good. Like they've just always been good. I think Strider is going to be great. The curveball looks like a real weapon for him to get people off. You know his hundred mile an hour fastball. Charlie Morton's been Mister Consistent. You know, in some regard, it doesn't even really matter how good the fifth starter goes. You know, with the bullpen the Braves have, with the offense they have, if the top four guys they have in their rotation pitch well, I mean, they could get pretty crappy performance out of that fifth starter spot and it still wouldn't matter much. So um, yeah, this, this rotation has unbelievable ceiling. I mean, un- like best rotation in baseball kind of ceiling. Strider's not actually even on our rundown, but let's talk about him just a minute too. I know Grant and I talked about him uh, earlier this week too. Yeah. That curveball is a different dynamic. And I think the thing that jumps out to me is not so much that he's added it is. It is the point that he's added a curveball. You know, he keeps looking for ways to get better. I mean, this is a guy that set the franchise record strikeouts last year. You know, he he came into last season with a, a changeup that he used predominantly against left-handed uh, hitters. You know, and now this offseason, here he comes with a curveball. You know, I told Grant on uh, a Battery Power TV episode, you know, I feel like Spencer Strider is going to win the Cy Young. I do. I think this is going to be just an absolute huge season for him. And, you know, I think it's just a testament that, you know, he's willing to not only just uh, hone the rest of his craft, but he's he's out here actively searching, uh, trying to add weapons to his arsenal as well. And that curveball looked pretty nasty today. The videos I saw, I know Pitching Ninja had a had a nice uh, uh, breakdown with his uh, fastball and his curveball, you know, and you could see the tunnel action uh, there. I think it's going to be really, really tough on hitters. Yeah, I mean, he's already thrown the curveball more than he's ever thrown the changeup, really. I mean, if you look back last year, I think I looked this up in the offseason at one point. I think he threw the changeup like 7% of the time last year. Um, It's just not a pitch he's ever really trusted a ton. Um, I don't think he loves the pitch. I I don't think he thinks he throws a great changeup. So I think he was looking for another weapon. One thing I like about the curveball is that, you know, it's a downward-breaking pitch. Um, Spencer was near the bottom of the league in terms of ground ball rate last year. He, he has a really low ground ball rate. It's like 33%, 34%, something like that. It's, I think it was in the bottom 10 in baseball last year. Um, he gives up a lot of fly balls and I think having a pitch that, you know, breaks downward as hard as that curveball does could help in that regard. It's also going to help people, you know, stay off that fastball, especially in, you know, two strike counts. If you're, you know, if you've got to gear up for a hundred, then that curveball is, you know, you don't have to throw a great one. You just have to throw a decent one, and it's going to be a nasty weapon. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people know how I feel about Spencer Strider. I think he's unbelievable. I think, you know, everybody, you know, his his detractors still talk about ERA. You know, I think people know by now I don't care much about ERA, but he's a monster. I mean, he really is. I, 
you know, the opening day starter thing is an interesting conversation. We're not going to, I don't think we're going to do it today. I think we can save that for a little later in spring, but like there's a real argument that Spencer should be the opening day starter. I, I think it'll be maxed just out of respect, but like, if you just go off talent, like who's the best pitcher, I have a hard time saying, you know, uh, Spencer Strider is not the best pitcher on the team. So we'll see how that does. But yeah, I think it's going to be a big year for him. Yeah, no doubt. And talking about the changeup, he threw 225 changeups last year. You're right. That's 7.3%. 214 of them to left-handed batters. Yeah. And uh, opponents hit 122 against that changeup. So yeah, I don't you know. know why. I, I've always wanted to throw it, like, especially against lefties, like changeups. You know, when you're talking about opposite handed hitters, the best weapon you can have is a changeup because it's the only pitch that you throw that actually moves away from opposite handed hitters. It's a very important weapon for any pitcher to, because you always have to have a plan against opposite handed hitters. Like that's the hardest thing for major league pitchers to do is get, if you're a righty to get lefties out, or if you're a lefty to get righties out. And the changeup is the weapon that you use for that. And I, for some reason, even though it's performed well, he, he just doesn't trust it a lot, especially in big games. Like he is fastball slider almost exclusively in like the biggest games of the year. So I think he's looking for something that he trusts a little more. We'll see, you know, when the regular season starts, I don't want to put too much weight on spring training. A lot of guys try new pitches in spring training and then we get to the regular season and they kind of ditch them. So we'll, you know, we'll see once we actually get to live bullets, how, you know, how prominent this thing is, but it's a, you know, it's obviously a fun thing to talk about and it's a fun thing to dream on. If he actually, you know, incorporates it into his repertoire, you know, at a high rate, yeah, no doubt. Another another debut we got this week was was the return of Tyler Matzik. I looked this up today. His last last time before before this spring appearance, uh, last he last pitched on October fifth, twenty twenty two. So you know an unbelievable uh, trek back. You know to to the mound for Tyler Matzik had a looked looked all right considering that long layoff. I think he gave up a hit and a walk. Got had a scoreless inning. You know, early in the spring, he talked about the that he might start the season on the IL. I kind of think that the fact that he was, you know, debuted so early, that it is a good sign that he could possibly be on the opening day roster. We had some mixed res, uh, reporting on the on the uh, on his velocity. The first report we saw today was that Matzik was topping out at eighty eight, eighty nine. That that would be very concerning. Mark Bowman came back later and and corrected that report and said that he was between ninety one and ninety five mile per hour. That's more in line with what we've seen from Matzik in the past. He's going to pitch again Friday. I think that's another that's another uh, you know significant step that he's going to you know he's already going to get back on the mound pretty quick. And with the velocity stuff, I want to caution. I know we just talked up Chris Sale hitting ninety seven and averaging ninety five, but I want to ca- caution the the velocity stuff in the spring. If you remember last year, Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd, velocity was way up in the spring, and then it just never materialized in the in the regular season. A lot of these different spring training parks, we're not getting good data. We're not getting consistent data, you know, as far as stat cast and stuff goes. So we're just kind of having to trust the reporting on some of this stuff. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, if if Matzik is up in the in the mid to low uh, low nineties, and you know, I think that's a really good sign for him. You know, if it's lower than that, then you know, it may take him a while to build up, and you know, and uh, and, uh, an injured list stint to start the season might be in play. But you know, I think he, he's got plenty enough time now that I think if uh, you know if everything stays the same and he stays healthy, I think he's still got a good chance to be on that opening day roster. Yeah, and everybody associates like arm speed with with fastball 
uh, fastball velocity, but like it matters for like your slider and how much break you can get on a slider. Like, you know, all your pitches are affected by it. So, you know, and if Matzik is 92, 93, 94, 95, then the question becomes like, how good is the slider? Right. Because th- that's his mix. He's a fastball slider guy. He's obviously left handed. And is that sufficient to get major league hitters out? Now, the Braves have a, you know, a ton of depth in their bullpen. They don't need Tyler Matzik to pitch the ninth inning or the eighth inning or even like the seventh inning, quite honestly. Like he can be a low leverage guy for quite a bit of time, you know, all year, really. I mean, they've got a ton, of, they've got a ton out there in that bullpen. So, you know, it's just going to be what is his level? Right. Like where does where does the velocity actually sit once we get to the regular season? Is he healthy? I guess we that's where it, really where it starts is A, is he healthy? B, if he's healthy, where does the velocity sit? How is the slider look? And then, you know, C, are those two things at a level that's good enough to consistently get major league hitters out? Right. Like that's that's the progression that we're just gonna have to go through. And you're in a rule, like you said, spring training is tough because it's an unusual environment. You're only pitching, you know, every Three or four days, you're pitching very short stints. Even starters are pitching like two or three innings. It's not conducive, you know. It's not. It's not like the regular season. So, yeah, any any stats in spring training are tough to use, um, and even velocity stuff like you mentioned is tough to use. But once we get to the regular season, if he's on the team, is he healthy? Where does the stuff kind of land at? And then is that good enough to get major league hitters out? That's you know that's the progression we're gonna have to go through with him. But I do want to say I. I I did tweet out Bowman's original article about 88, 89. You know, I think I was kind of responsible a little bit for the panic on Twitter. Uh, I do apologize for that. Mark immediately came back, not immediately, but like within 30 minutes came back, you know, over the top and said, you know, that we, you know, we got to correct this. It was more 91, 95. So for any panic that I caused on Twitter, I do apologize. Yeah. And I mean, I wrote it up on the site and had to edit it and change it up. So, you know, you're, you're not alone, but I mean, those, that, that radar, uh, reading, you know, 88 and 89, that suggests one thing, you know, at that point you're thinking an injured list Sten is probably likely to start the season. You know, if he's more 91, 95 right now, then I feel a whole lot better about his chances to make the opening day roster, you know, but yeah, Mark, Mark got that corrected. And, uh, you know, we, we corrected this edit, uh, the story on the site. So, uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, uh, talk about some hitters. You know, the, through the early part of spring, Braves have done a pretty good job of just running a, a different mix of guys out there. We've seen the regulars a little bit, but we haven't seen them a ton. Thursday, of course, was a split squad day, so you were going to see those regulars for today for sure. Michael Harris has gotten off to a great start. I wanted to kind of spotlight him. He had a couple more hits today. He's 5 for 11 with a double and two homers. You know, I've seen a lot of people talking about maybe a, a Michael Harris breakout this season, and I think it certainly do think it's possible. You know, as far as that goes, I think he could reach another level offensively. But, you know, before we really talk about breakout, I think you got to kind of look at what he did last year. You know, he got off that slow start, got hurt, had the back injury, missed a couple of weeks, maybe even three, you know, with that on the injured list. Michael Harris was hitting 163 on June 6th last year. From that point on, he hit 335, 360, slugged 552. 16 homers. That's in 300 or 401 plate appearances. 912 OPS over that stretch. You know, you could almost say that Michael Harris started to break out last year. You know, once once everything finally clicked. You know, and and hopefully this year, you know, it's going to be something that we can see him 
kind of do it from opening day and avoid those injuries and everything. But, you know, what have you, what do you, I mean, Harris hit this, he started spring training, hit the first pitch he's seen out. He's hit a couple of long home runs. Uh, you know, he, to me, he just looks, he looks ready right now. Yeah. The funny thing with Michael is his rookie season in 2022 statistically was better than his 2023 season. But if you actually look at the numbers, his 2023 season has much less flukish things about it, which means the numbers that you're looking at are much more real. And so in that regard, I think his 2023 season was actually a better season, even though overall, like he hit like a 140 WRC plus in his rookie season, but that like he had like a 370 uh, batting average on balls in play. Like every ground ball he was hitting was finding a hole, like stuff that's just not sustainable. You know, he cut his last year, he cut his ground ball rate by like, 10 or 11%. Like he went from like a almost a 60% ground ball rate guy to like a 46 or 47% ground ball rate guy. That's just much more conducive for long-term success. He cut his strikeout rate by about five or 6%, which is a huge number, especially, you know, so young at 22 to be able to cut 6% off your strikeout rate is a big deal. He still hit for quite a bit of power. Yeah. I'm extremely high. I told Sean last week that I, I, I think you can make the argument that that Michael Harris is the second best player on the team behind Acuna because when you're so good defensively at such a premium defensive position, like that's just insanely valuable, right? Like, and he's he's an elite base runner, so that's insanely valuable. So, like, if he hits, you know, if he puts up a 120, 125 WRC plus for a full season with all that other value already mixed in, like that's like a seven one player, and that's you know, other than Acuna, like. Yeah, yeah, like he could be the second best player on the team. It's not crazy. And so I do agree that it could be a breakout season. You know, I, I would love to see the walk rate go up because that helps your OBP so much. You don't have to run a high batting average of balls in play to have a high out, uh, on base percentage. If you get that walk rate up, I think that's his next step. He's a highly aggressive hitter. He likes to swing early in the count. We saw that in the first game. He took the first pitch and he launched it. And these homers have not been cheap homers in spring training. He's hitting the ball like 440 feet on these homers. So, uh, But he's a very aggressive hitter. It's one of the reasons he was able to cut his strikeout rate down. But you know, the next step for him is being able to work the count to the point where he can get some walks, help the OBP a little bit to get that up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, on, I'm all aboard the Michael Harris train. I, I, like I told Sean, I think it's very possible he's the, the second best player on this team. And the sky's the limit for this kid. He is unbelievably talented yeah i mean the walk rate is the next is the next level for him i think you know it's 4.7 percent in his career that's 252 games 980 plate appearances you'd like to see that go up he did good do a good job of uh you know cutting the strikeout rate as you mentioned here's the crazy thing though he turns 23 next month so you know there's still a lot of growth i think left in him you know i think he can the ground ball rate the fly balls you know we're starting to see him hit the ball with authority you already know how good of a a defensive player he is you know i think he could steal 30 bases easy uh, you know as far as this goes depending on where he's hitting in the lineup Uh, i think you know hitting hitting ninth last year and having acuna behind him probably suppressed the strike the stolen bases a little bit i think you you know if he if he moves around in the order i think you could see him easily steal 30 bases so you know this is i think it's going to be a big season for him just hopefully he can stay healthy through the early part and uh, you know we could see what kind of numbers you know he really puts up uh, over a full a full campaign 
Another guy we've been kind of keeping an eye on, of course, Jerry Kelenic. And I thought Thursday was interesting. You know, you and I talked about the bench the last time, last time we did a show together. Uh, Kelenic started in center field Thursday. I didn't see any reports on it, you know, as far as how he did out there. I'm, I'm assuming that everything went fine or, you know, we probably would have seen some tweets or something about it. But I thought it was interesting, you know, because we've been talking about this bench and how, how the Braves might make it up. And, you know, our our initial thoughts or my initial thought was, you know, a right-handed bat that could probably play center field if you needed him to. But, you know, if if the Braves are comfortable that Kellenick could step in for Harris if needed, or, you know, we know Acuna could probably play center, you know, if he absolutely had to in an emergency situation. But, you know, that might lessen – that might be good news for a guy like Jordan Luplo who, who, who can play in the corners and is a right-handed bat, but you probably don't want him in center field. You know, Eli White's also uh, been competing for that. You know, J.P. Martinez, Forrest Wall. Forrest Wall's on a heater right now. He had two homers, two more homers today. You know, I know he's a le- another left-handed hitter, but, you know, the way he's uh, performed, you know, he could he's going to figure into this mix as well. But, you know, I wanted to see what you thought kind of about Kellenick in center. I know he's played there in the past. I think he'd be a lot better in left field. But, you know, maybe we were overthinking it a little bit because Harris is basically going to play every day. And if he needs to come out of a game, you know, the Braves could probably – finish that game with Kellenick or Acuna in center and then address it, you know, after the game's over. Yeah. One thing I didn't realize when he came over, obviously we don't watch a ton of Seattle Mariners games just because they're on so late versus, you know, where we are. But, you know, he, he played almost a thousand innings in center field uh, in his career with the Mariners. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he played so much. Um, I just assumed Julio Rodriguez, you know, played every, second in center field while he was there but he played almost a thousand innings in center field with Seattle so you know obviously he's got some skills out there he's an athletic guy he's a young guy you know honestly that's the most important part is because you know outfield defense is kind of a young man's game Uh, you don't see a lot of 30 year old center fielders anymore Um, so you know that is interesting I I didn't realize he had started in center until you put it in our uh, our outline for tonight and that does, you know, that could change the equation, right? Because we've all been saying, like, the backup outfielder, you know, if he can play center field would help a lot. But, you know, especially if you put a guy like Luke Williams on the bench, that's uh, Bowman had him when Bowman did his um, his projection or his latest roster projection today. He had Luke Williams as the last guy on the bench. And he's a guy who could play center field as well in a pinch. So, like, yeah, maybe you don't have to have a guy who can play center, um, as you know, in that outfield spot. Like you said, Acuna can do it. You know, in a pinch, he can at least finish a game for you. Uh, I personally think Acuna was a better defensive center fielder than he, he's been a defensive right fielder. Um, but, you know, I know they're trying to keep him healthy, of course. So you're trying to lower the amount of, uh, you know, impact plays he has to make in the outfield. But, um, yeah, that is interesting. And I that's going to be something to track in spring training because how much they trust him in center does impact the bench. And it does impact which guys maybe have a lead for that bench, you know, those bench spots. Um, you know, Jordan Luplo maybe becomes more attractive when you don't have to necessarily have a guy who could play center. You know, there that's a whole conversation, too, about the bench, about, you know, left-handed, right-handed, you know, which guys make more sense. How much are they going to play anyways? You know, that's a whole discussion. But, yeah, Kelnick in center was is a very interesting detail that I, most people probably missed. Yeah, and, I mean, just to finish this bench conversation, you know, I, I know Luis Guillaume made a start at shortstop. Again, it was one of those situations where we couldn't watch it. I don't remember hearing anything bad about it. 
you know, I'm not sure. I know he's dropped a little bit of weight. Uh, some of the guys have talked about that uh, coming into this season. Maybe he's a little bit more of a shortstop option. I don't think David Fletcher has played shortstop yet. If he has, he hasn't played it much. Uh, he's been. I know he's played second, and I know he's played third. Uh, he had a good game today, three hits, I believe, over in uh, Port Charlotte. So, you know, the bench is going to be interesting to see how they uh, play it out. I mean, you know, you could make the case that they'd only need one backup infielder the way – you know, the way those guys, uh, the infield goes to, goes out there every single night and plays. So how the, how that, how that ends up, uh, meshing is going to be really interesting to see. And then I still think there's a possibility we see some, uh, one or two more new faces before the spring's over that enters that mix as well. Uh, again, uh, just to wrap this thing up too, we were, you know, we, we've been rolling out our, our 30 team, our, season preview NL West was last week I didn't get to talk about it because I wasn't here uh, so I thought we'd hit these two uh, do our predictions real quick here you know when you look at the NL West uh, you know of course the Dodgers jump off the page at you you know they won the offseason uh, Yamamoto looked really good in his debut Shohei Otani homered in his first game you know I think it's easy to see the Dodgers are going to be a favorite in the National League along with the with the Braves uh but when you look at this division you know you got the Diamondbacks made it all the way to the World Series the Padres look a little different this year but they you know still have some talent how many playoff teams do you think you know will come out of the NL West in 2024 oh that's a good question um let me see so there's gonna be there's six playoff teams per league now um you got the Dodgers and the Braves you're gonna have one from the Central so that leaves so that's one out west, and there's three more spots. The Phillies will get one of those spots, so that's two spots. Um, so that's two spots left. So I will say the Diamondbacks. Um, man, that's tough. I could see the I Diamondbacks. Think, I think it could get interesting if the Giants were to come up, were to end up with Matt, uh, Matt Chapman and then yeah. also maybe Blake Snail. Yeah, you know, I know that rumors out there. It's probably unlikely. <clears throat> I think the Giants could jump into that equation. I think the Padres, you know, the Padres were just just underachieved all last year until right at the end, and it was too late for them. I wonder if they're a little bit better this time. Have a little bit better record, but I don't think that roster's as good as it was last year. But I mean, to me, I think the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are probably playoff teams at this point. Uh, just yeah. looking at the at the whole uh, scope, but I think the Giants could still make things interesting. You know, if they if they end up with two of these, you know, uh, if they ended up with Jordan Montgomery and Chapman, or you know Blake Snell and and Chapman at the same time. So I think it's an interesting division, even though the Dodgers are just this overwhelming favorite. Yeah, I, I wrote I did the uh, I wrote up the Giants for the site, and I'll say this about the Giants. Um, they don't have a ton of like high end talent on the team. Like, there's no like stars that jump off the page, but they do have quite a bit of depth. Um, and they made the trade for uh, Robbie Ray, and he'll, they'll get him back in the second half. Like, yeah, if they could add Blake Snell, they need one more starter, and they probably need one more bat. You know, they did sign Jorge Soler, which I think was a really good signing because they needed some right handed power. Do you know how long it's been since they had a guy who hit 30 homers? That was an unbelievable stat. That Did was, you see that? That was unbelievable to me to read that. But with the way that homers have, you know, kind of jumped up again in in recent years, that was that blew my mind when I saw that. The last the last player to hit thirty home runs for the San Francisco Giants was Barry Bonds. That's crazy. Like all those World Series teams, Buster Posey and 
you know, Brandon Belt and, and all those guys and not a single one of them ever hit 30 home runs in this. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a pitcher's, you know, paradise. That's where every pitcher wants to pitch. And there's, you got the Marine layer, you got the massive ballpark. So I guess it's not crazy, but still that's like 20 years ago, basically. Um, so yeah, I think they need another bat. Chapman would be good if they get Chapman and Snell. Obviously that adds just a ton of front end talent on the team. I think the Giants could be a surprise playoff team. It wouldn't stun me, but the Dodgers are so much better than everybody. Than you know, they're all everybody else is fighting for a wild card. Um, but yeah, two is probably the answer to your question. But three wouldn't stun. Me. I, I I'm not high on the Padres, but you know we'll see. They they need Manny Machado to turn back into Manny Machado if they're going to do anything. He had a pretty mediocre year last year, but yeah, I think the answer to your question is probably two. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we did the American League Central this week. I'll be honest with you. This was I, I wrote up the Tigers this week, and I I think the the deck I put on that article was that, that somebody has to win this division, and yeah. I don't know who it's going to be. I really don't. You know, you look top to bottom. The Royals, Royals have uh, was probably the most active team during the uh, off season. I don't know how much. I mean, if things click, I guess you could you can make the case. But they they lost hundred games last year. You're talking about a, a huge. Uh, a huge leap. The Twins, of course, won the division last year with 87 wins. Lost Sonny Gray. Didn't do a whole lot, you know, this offseason either. They were one of the teams, I think, that was bothered by the TV situation. You know, and then, I mean, when you look at the Tigers, I think I think the Tigers could make a could make another jump here if their pitching holds up. I think, But every team in this division just has so many question marks about it. Um, so, you know, it, it makes it really, really hard to kind of predict. Yeah, that, I mean, this is the worst division in baseball by far. I mean, you know, Cleveland, you know, they've got, they still got Jose Ramirez. You know, they can, it seems like Cleveland can always kind of patch together a decent rotation, a decent bullpen, but like they can never hit. Like it's, it's Jose Ramirez and just a bunch of like, you know, uh, high school hitters, it seems like. So I have a hard time picking them. I think the Twins probably have the most talented roster. You can kind of dream on, you know, Byron Buxton, Carlos Correa, you know, Royce Lewis, Max Kepler, uh, uh, Eduardo Julian, like they've got some hitters. Like you can see they signed Carlos Santana uh, and then they got Pablo Lopez, you know, they got Ulber, you know, they, they, they've got um, Duran in the bullpen. So I think that's probably the most talented team in this division, but I mean, Buxton might play, you know, he might play 50 games. I mean, you know, he's their best player, but he, he gets hurt every year for most of the year. Like you just can't count on him. You know, Carlos Correa didn't have the greatest year last year. So I don't know. It, that's a good question. My guess is the twins, but it's a, it's a low bar. I mean, 85 wins could win that division. So um, it's easily the worst division in baseball. Yeah, I think I think it's probably the twins too, but I would keep an eye on the Tigers. I think the Tigers got have some more has some growth in in them. I think they could they could uh, really challenge them, especially if the twins get hurt, have some injuries. You know, Buxton they're going to try to play him in center field again. Yeah, uh, Royce, I saw that. That's, Royce, that's Royce Lewis has put up some great numbers, but has been hurt probably as much or more than Buxton over the last couple of seasons. So, you know, I think that's a team, that's a team to keep an eye on. Uh, this, this division should be a pretty good race. I think the thing you have to watch with the guardians, you know, Cleveland, you know, they may be in it and they still may sell at the trade deadline. You know, Shane Bieber, they've got Shane Bieber still. He hasn't went. I will be surprised if Shane Bieber finishes the season in Cleveland. Um, I think they'd have to be leading the division, 
you know, for that to happen. So it was going to be interesting to see. And then, of course, you know, the Royals, they gave Bobby Witt Jr. the huge contract, signed a bunch of pitchers this offseason. They're looking to jump into the conversation. I just think, you know, they won 56 games last year. I'm going to have to really kind of see how they perform before I start uh, predicting them in the top half of this division. Well, yeah, they got to have more than Bobby Witt. I mean, Bobby Witt, like, he took, like, the leap last year where he went from, like, good player to, like, superstar, and that's why he got the contract extension he did. And they spent a decent amount of money, but it was all, you know, basically one-year deals. I it felt like they were trying to get a bunch of guys they could potentially trade at the deadline. Um, I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think they signed, you know, three or four pitchers that if they have good years, they'll trade them because they're not going to be very good. I, they just need more talent. They just don't have enough talent. Like Bobby Wood is amazing, but like it's baseball. Like it's not basketball. There's only so much you can do with one guy. Um, they just need more. They need more talent. Yeah, and I mean he was amazing last year, and they still only won fifty six games. So exactly, you know, I, I want to exactly. see. I want to see what they. I want to see what they look like this year. Uh, I'm not sold. I think the White Sox clearly are the worst team in this division and have one of the most interesting players, in my opinion, Luis, Luis Robert Jr. Uh, I, I was kind of hoping he'd kind of get moved somewhere uh, this offseason, but you know it hasn't happened yet. And, of course, Dylan Cease is still there somehow. I don't know how after dominating the offseason with all the rumors, but you know at some point I expect him to be on the move as well. So, We'll have to keep an eye on this division. You know, it's not the most talented, but there's some storylines in there. So, uh, but our our play our preview next week will be the NL Central, and then roll on to the uh, Eastern Division. So, uh, we'll we'll continue to follow up on this as uh, the spring unfolds. Uh, before we go, I wanted to call everybody's attention to an article we've got on the front page of the site. It's going to stay there through the weekend, but we're we're asking people if how we can make uh, battery power better. You know, there's a, a survey in there for you to go in and fill out. We've already gotten a, a ton of submissions. Some of them are things that we just simply can't do. Some things are, are really good ideas and stuff that's been, you know, I've, I'm taking notes on them. Uh, there's a lot of podcast related stuff in there. I want anybody that's listening to this to know if you submitted uh, feedback there, we're listening, you know, we're exploring, I'm going to explore some things. Hopefully we'll be able to do some, some things that you guys are looking for down the road at some point, And we appreciate you taking the time to fill that, fill that out, whether it's positive, negative criticism, we want to hear from you as far that's why it's on the front page. So, you know, we want to make this the, the best, uh, one-stop shop brave site for everybody out there so please if you if you've got a moment go to that go to the site homepage and and you'll find it in the on the in the cover up up top so you can uh fill that out for us and give us some much needed feedback steven you got anything else you want to hit before we get out of here uh no not really i mean we just we're rolling on march this last day of february today was leap day uh tomorrow's march 1st and you know march is always kind of the the beginning of the new, right? Beginning of the new season, new uh, spring training rolls on. Stuff will start ramping up. We'll start seeing pitchers throw more than, you know, one or two innings. You know, hitters will start playing more more and more regularly. Um, so, yeah, just stay tuned. Uh, the site rolls on. We got, you know, just massive amounts of content every day. Um, we have the podcast network every week. And, um, yeah, we appreciate it as always, guys. And we will see you guys next week.